you have your Bibles, please turn to First uh, Corinthians. Well, actually, no, turn to Romans. Actually, we're going to be in First Corinthians, but let's start with Romans. That's kind of the, the, the uh, verse that we need to start with. We've looked at this verse before. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul writing. We've considered this verse in some detail, but let's look at it again. Uh, in verse 16 of chapter 1, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for uh, to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, open our hearts and minds to your word. Speak to us, write your word within our hearts and minds so that we would not be forgetful hearers. By your grace, that we would believe it, receive it, and then obey it. That we would become effectual doers of that which your word uh, points us to and, and which you command in scripture. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be acceptable in your sight through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Well, this, this 16th verse, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. There's a lot going on there. Paul talks about salvation talks about the word of God goes out. He said, for it is the power of God unto salvation. So the question before us today that I want us to consider, and we'll consider it from scripture, is just what is the gospel? What actually is the gospel? It's really important to know what it is because there are warnings about false gospels. There's warnings about not believing the correct gospel. And so we need to ask ourselves, what is the gospel? And so we see here, Paul said, first of all, he was not ashamed of it. Now, so the simple definition, it's the gospel of Christ. Note that in our Bibles. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now, some of the modern versions omit that, as they have a tendency to do, because they're based on faulty manuscripts. That's a whole other story. This is why I'm a stickler about using Bibles that are based on the Texas Receptus and the preserved word of God, rather than to the slop that, supposed neo-orthodox scholars have have come up with and said this is a better one because we've corrected all the mistakes and they end up chopping it up and leaving out uh, verses that are in overwhelming majority uh, of manuscripts and been used for throughout history from the uh, post-apostolic period up until the reformation up until now and so it's a pity when you see you know just a one little word omitted you know jesus when the devil tempted him and he said, um, turn these stones into bread, what did our Lord Jesus Christ say? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? By most of the words of God or by the, whatever the scholars, the supposed self-anointed scholars present to us and tell us, this is the word of God. You've all been wrong for centuries, but now we've corrected it for you. Uh, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So it's extremely important to have Bibles that are based on the authentic text that's been in use in the churches for centuries. Uh, and so 
the New King James, praise God for that mercy, is based upon those authentic texts. Paul wrote and said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's from him and it's about him. The word gospel comes to us from uh, the old English or uh, Anglo-Saxon and Originally, it was God spiel. It's not God as in G-O-D like we refer to the deity. That's the way they said the word good. Uh, it was just spelled with one O back in those days. They didn't get confused about it. We might. But it's the good and then spiel. <laughs> we kind of know that, don't we? It's the good news. It's the good good talk. And it corresponds to the Greek, the euangelion. Those of you who have been around for a while have heard me talk about this quite a bit in the past. U means good in Greek. Angelion, that's related to the word angel, because an angel is a messenger. Sometimes heavenly beings, sometimes men are called angels in scripture. Uh, when you know Peter knocked on the door after the angel of the Lord, or an angel of the Lord, had released him from prison, and the young girl wrote up, um, she heard the voice of Peter knocking on the door. She didn't let her in, she ran and told everybody, Peter's at the door. And the people that were there praying for him said, oh, it's probably his angel. It's like rather casual. <laughs> uh, they meant it's probably his messenger. An <laughs> angel is a messenger. Uh, and so the euangelion, angelion, it's not angelos, meaning a, a person, but angelion, it's the thing, the good message. So that's what the word gospel is. It's the good news, the good message of Christ. It's about him. So the first thing we can establish is just what it's about. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the good news of Christ. In Mark's gospel, chapter one, if you uh, want to do a little Bible study with me, if you'll flip over there, you'll see that when uh, Mark begins his gospel, he says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As he begins to write his narrative of the history of the time when Jesus was here on earth, he starts and tells us that the gospel begins uh, with the with the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. It actually goes back before that. But he says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of it, the promises that were given to the fathers, that original, as we call it, the proto-evangelion, uh, the first preaching of the gospel given in the Garden of Eden when Satan was rebuked and was told that, God was going to put enmity between him and the woman, between uh, her seed and his seed, and that the Satan or the serpent would crush his heel, but the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. That's why right after that, Adam calls his wife, who he had initially referred to simply as woman, Isha, he names her Hava or Eve in English, uh, because Hava means living because she was the mother of all living. They understood God's promise. They didn't die that day. God accepted a substitute and gave a promise that there would be redemption from what had just happened through the uh, fall of, of Adam and, and his sin. And so here we find in the outworking of that, though, but Mark tells us that the story of Jesus is, is the narrative of history. It's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then he goes back and, and quotes from the Old Testament uh, prophets, as it is written in the prophets, and he uh, talks about the promise that the Messiah was going to come. And so we see that it really came into fulfillment when Christ came. Uh, and also we can see it began with the, the preaching of the baptism of John. In uh, verse 4 of chapter 1 of Mark, it tells us that John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance 
for the remission of sins. That is, men were to turn from their sins and they were to obey God and they were to uh, submit to the cleansing ritual of baptism because they as a nation were unclean. John was a Levite, so they were called to be cleansed from their sin and to repent. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, Paul takes us back a long time before uh, the first century, and he tells us that the gospel was preached a long time before that, because it has to do with God's promise. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 8 there, Paul says, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. He said he preached the gospel to Abraham. And what did he preach? In you, and actually if we go back and look at all the cross-references, you see the fullness of that promises. In you and in your seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That was the promise, because the promise is about Christ. He is the seed, the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham, the seed of David. He is 100% man. He was born of the Virgin Mary, conceived in her womb by the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but he took his humanity from her. So our Lord Jesus Christ truly is the seed of the woman. But we see the gospel was preached to Abraham, as Paul tells us here. That good news, Abraham received that. Jesus said in John chapter 8, uh, when those in Judea were questioning his uh, claims, he said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it. And they were like, what? Now, obviously, it didn't mean Abraham could see the day there, but he knew it was coming. He said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it. That is by faith. So they said, you're not yet 50 years old, and you're telling us that you've seen Abraham? And right after Jesus said the next thing, they took up stones to kill him because what he said was, this is John 8, I believe, 8.58. He said, before Abraham was, I am. They knew what he meant. He, basically, Jesus was letting them know, I am God. I am the son of God. And so they took up stones to stone him. Uh, Jesus was with Abraham. You know, the, the three visitors, remember when the two angels went down to Sodom and Gomorrah to get Lot and his family out of there? One stayed, one of the visitors that Abraham had, and clearly it did, he's actually identified as being Yahweh, Jehovah, the pre-incarnate Christ was there talking to Abraham. So the gospel was preached to Abraham. Uh, we're told also in Hebrews chapter 3 that those who came out of Egypt heard the gospel. They heard the, the good news. In Hebrews chapter 3, beginning at verse 16, it says, Therefore, who having heard rebelled? Indeed, uh, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And the answer is actually there were two that didn't, and that was Joshua and Caleb. Now with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who did not obey so we see they could not enter in because of unbelief. So something was going on there that kept them, and it was their unbelief, we're told. And then we're told, therefore, since a promise remains of, of entering his rest, beyond this is beyond Canaan, there is the idea to actually have salvation in its fullness. Let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. And then he tells us, for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well 
as to them. So the generation that came out of Egypt under Moses, the gospel was preached to them. They were they knew of the promise of the Messiah. God had given them promises. They failed to believe it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So we learn from this that the gospel was preached during the time of Moses. The law is not contrary to the promises of God. You know, when it says in John chapter 1, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. The two things are not enemies there. By the law is the knowledge of sin. Remember in Romans 3, that shows you you need a Savior. Through Jesus Christ, who is the Savior, grace and truth comes to us. But here he says the gospel was ineffective because they did not believe. So we see the gospel has to be believed. So the gospel has been around since the beginning. And we can trust God for that. Peter tells us in chapter 4, verse 6, uh, that the gospel was preached to those who were alive during the time of Noah. So the antediluvian world, the world before the flood. And so, and also Paul tells us that it's been around for a long time, but not to get it confused with the ceremonies and the sacraments that are attached to it. If you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said in verse uh, 17, because they were at, at each other's throats, they were striving over who had baptized them and who was the greatest, etc. But he tells them in verse 17 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. So Paul's saying that baptism is not the essence of the gospel. There are those who have taken you know the doctrine of baptism and twisted it and turned it and said you have to be water baptized in order to be saved. And they really put themselves on the same level of those who came up into Antioch and taught the disciples saying, unless you are circumcised and keep the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Men always want to find some ritual that they can cling to uh, and, and tell you that if you don't submit to that, usually it's our specific baptism, then you're not really a Christian and you're going to go to hell because you've got to believe what we tell you so Paul says, Christ didn't send me to baptize. Baptism's important. If you're not baptized and you're a believer, you need to be baptized. Right? The Bible's pretty clear on that. But if you're a baptized believer and you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, don't think your baptism is what saves you. All right? Baptism is just simply the sign of the covenant showing that you and your family belong to Jesus. And so if you've received baptism, thank God for it. But note, Paul says, Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, to proclaim it. Not with wisdom of words. Now, you know, wisdom of words can help. Sometimes we need counseling. But what we often need beyond counseling is repentance. Uh, not with wisdom of words. We don't need to, you know, like I've said to one brother, if I can talk you into something, then somebody else can come along and talk you out of it. You need to be persuaded by God's spirit through the word of God as to what you believe. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. So now we learn the gospel has to do with Christ and also the cross of Christ. That Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. And so we begin to, to learn a lot about what it means to believe the gospel and what the gospel is. Back in Galatians chapter 1, 
Paul says it's really important to get this right because he says in Galatians chapter 1 at verse 6, he said, I marvel, he writes to the church in Galatia. Galatia wasn't a city, it was an area in what today would be modern day Turkey or Asia Minor. And so the churches that were in that area, uh, he writes to them because they had begun to buy into this idea that you're saved through ceremonial compliance at that time with circumcision. So he says in verse uh, 6 of chapter 1, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. A different good news. So he said, note this, by the way, to turn away from the message of the gospel is to turn away from the one who it's about. He said, you've turned away from, not just from the message, from him who called you in the grace of Christ, that is not according to your works, not according to your ability to uh, be circumcised or some other ceremonial compliance, but called you by the grace of Christ, God's favor given to you in his son, to a different gospel, some other good news, he says, which is not another. What he means is it's not really good news. They're, they're perverting the message that can save you. The very thing that can help you, can, that can bring you to salvation, that teaches you what you need to know and believe concerning salvation, they're preaching something else. They've done away with the idea that you're saved 100% by the work of Christ. And as you with empty hands come to God, that's what faith is, and receive what he has given you freely. That's what it means to believe. But he says they've got another good news, which is not good news. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. So they want to twist it. They want to pervert it and turn it into something that it's not. And it ends up being another gospel. And that's what he says in verse 8. But even if we are an angel from heaven, that if someone claims an angel appeared to them like Joseph Smith claimed or some others, modern day people will often say that. Uh, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Pretty strong language. So if somebody brings a, another gospel, a false gospel, he said, other than the one we've preached, and if you want to know what Paul preached, you better read the Bible, because that's where it's written down. Let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Paul said, anyone that does that is damned by God. So if you take the, the message of life and you twist it around and you make it something that it's not, you've not only harmed others, you're, you're under God's displeasure and wrath. So Paul says, those people are under God's curse. That's what that means. So that's why we want to avoid those who twist the word of God. See, well, how can I know what the true gospel is? Read your Bible. The Bible tells you. Read the gospels. Read the Old Testament. We see it started in Genesis. It goes all the way through to the end of the word of God. And so again, having looked at these, we've learned a lot about the gospel. But what exactly is the gospel itself? <coughs> in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, Paul sets forth what the gospel is very clearly to the Corinthians. He says there, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you. So here he's going to tell you. This is the good news I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, 
unless you believed in vain. He says, unless your faith wasn't real, unless you weren't really trusting in Christ. But Paul says, the, the message I preach is what saves you. And then he tells them, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. That is, God had told us in the written word, these things were going to happen, and they did happen. And that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. That is, Cephas, another name for Peter. That's the Aramaic way of saying uh, Petros in Greek, it, Peter's name. And after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren. So Paul establishes the historical veracity, the truthfulness of the resurrection of Christ. He said he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. That is the, the other apostles. Matthias is included in that number when Paul recounts it. Judas was gone at that point. But after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. That was up in Galilee. Paul says, when he wrote this in the first century, he says, of whom the greater part remained to the present. They were alive at that time. But some have fallen asleep. He said those that first body of witnesses, they'd seen Jesus after the resurrection. Some have, have died, but most of those people were alive when Paul wrote this. After that, he was seen by James, that's his half-brother. Then by all the apostles again. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time, that on the road to Damascus. And then Paul says, for I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And then he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. I love that phrase. Isn't that wonderful? By the grace of God, I am what I am. He recognized, yes, I did horrible things before I was saved. I persecuted the church. I delivered people to death because they believed in Jesus. I saw them tortured and I thought it was great. I stood by the clothes of those who stoned Stephen to death in Jerusalem. And I thought I was doing a good thing. Paul says, that's not all there was. Jesus found me. He changed me. He saved me by the grace of God. Note that Paul doesn't say, because I submitted to baptism or because I did certain rituals. Uh, he doesn't say that. He says, by the grace of God, God's freely given favor and love. I am what I am. I hope you can say that today. And by his grace toward me, excuse me, and his grace toward me was not in vain. That is that grace. It wasn't just favor shown in heaven. It was favor shown to me on earth. It was transforming. It changed me. I was born again. God saved me out of my sin. He changed my heart, changed my mind, revealed his truth to me, and then worked in me powerfully as far as my thoughts, my intentions, my purpose, my affections, my life, everything about me changed. His grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Paul was, he was, you know, you see that term. I don't hear it much these days. I kind of wish I did. People refer to somebody being on fire for Jesus. <laughs> if, if you think of the picture, you know, somebody you set them on fire, they're going to run. Okay. And, and sometimes you see Christians that are on fire for Jesus. And it's not a bad fire, okay? It won't hurt you. Uh, it's when the Holy Spirit's at work in your life. It wouldn't hurt us to seek that more. It's, Lord, uh, we need to be on fire for you. Be zealous is what it means. But Paul says, I labored more abundantly than they all. So just so it doesn't start to look like Paul's bragging in his own efforts, he says, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. And so he set forth the nature of the gospel. So he tells them, therefore, whether it was I or they, 
whether me or one of the other apostles or some other servant of Christ. So we preach, and so you believed. And then he goes on in the rest of the chapter, mostly he's speaking about the truth of the resurrection of Christ. So the gospel we learn from this passage, it is to be preached, it's to be proclaimed. Christ in the Great Commission said uh, in Mark's gospel, chapter 16, go uh, into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. All right, and th there's different words for the word preach. There's that word, um, the, the the verb form of gospel, uh, where we get the word evangelize, evangelizo, uh, it means to to preach the gospel, to share the good news. There's another word, it's caruso, or caruso is the verb form. Caruso, I always think of the opera singer, they could really belt it out, you know. Um, and that means an authoritative proclamation, caruso. And the caruso is to preach the carooks, that's the message. That was the authoritative proclamation. And so in preaching, there's authority when it's based on the Bible. It's not the preacher's authority, it's God's authority in the word of God. And so I hope if the gospel is being preached, you don't have to say, well, I don't know if I believe that guy. That's fine. You take everything I say and you check it out with scripture. But if it's in the Bible, you don't have the option of not believing it. Okay. It's an authoritative message. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. That's the message. Christ was crucified. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Praise God for that. And he was buried. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead. He took away all our sins. Death couldn't hold him. That's the good news. Sin has been dealt with. Our sins have been paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have this, this beautiful message in the gospel. Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.8 that uh, he tell, told Timothy, uh, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. So we see that foundational to the preaching of the gospel is the teaching of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ is risen from the dead. It's great to know that who Jesus is, but you've got to know what he did. He is the Son of God. He is eternal with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He is the only Savior, and he died for our sins, and he rose again from the dead. That's the stumbling block, you know, that, that stumbles the Jews, and the Greeks think it's foolishness. Because, they, well, what do you mean he rose from the He came back alive because he'd taken our sins on himself and became subject to death. Having paid for all those sins, death could no longer hold him. And so the fact that he's risen from the dead tells you your sins were paid for fully. Otherwise, Jesus would have stayed under the power of death. You've been forgiven. You have eternal life if you're trusting in him. God has separated you from your sins. So we, the gospel, we find out what it is. We find out it's to be preached, as I said, in Mark 16, 15. Uh, and then in, in uh, 1 Peter uh, 1, 25, he said, referring to the scriptures, he said, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. So the gospel is the preaching of the word of God. It's to, the proclamation of the gospel has to be based on what God has said, not what someone else has said. In 1 Corinthians 1.21, Paul said, For inasmuch as in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom, through, through its wisdom, uh, did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the preaching, literally. Some say the foolishness of the thing preached. It's not really foolishness, but in the world, it seems to be. But through the foolishness of preaching or the message preached to save those who are believing. And this looks like foolishness to the flock. Wait a minute. Some guy's going to get up and talk about this stuff. And the people here, they're somehow going to be different people once they hear it. 
And we go, yeah, that's exactly what we're saying. They go, well, that's just foolishness. Well, that's because you guys think in your wisdom, you know, you're looking for a philosophical answer. That's not what it is. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It is to be preached. Why does that happen? Because of the work of the Holy Spirit. When the gospel is proclaimed, that is the message of Jesus Christ who died for sinners and rose again, and that eternal life is offered through him to everyone who believes, God uses that message that goes into your ear. He, by his spirit, takes it into your very innermost being and uses that to bring you to life. It's no different than when Jesus stood before the, the tomb of Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come forth. What happened? Lazarus came hobbled out. You know, he was he still was bound up. Jesus said, untie him and let him go. You know, get him get him out of his grave clothes. For us, lots of times we get saved. And then a certain part of, uh, part of our early Christian life is usually us getting out of our grave clothes, okay? But when Jesus called Lazarus forth, it's no different than when he, by the Holy Spirit, through the preaching of the gospel, brings you and I out of me, rather, out of death into life. Jesus said, he who hears my word and believes on him who sent me has, present tense, everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is already passed out of death into life. Okay, that's John 5, 24. You've already passed out of death into life. Why? Because you heard the word. Jesus said, he that has ears, let him hear. Literally, he must hear. So if you've heard the gospel, give God the glory and all the thanks because it's from him. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. Uh, God was pleased through the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. And then finally, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul wrote to Timothy, and again, you know, I'm always reminded whenever I read from 2 Timothy, this was the last letter Paul wrote before he was martyred. These literally are his last words. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, I charge thee therefore before God. He's talking to the young man, Timothy. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the, the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. That's it uses that word karut or caruso. That means authoritatively proclaim it. It's not your word. It's God's word. Proclaim it for what it is. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. I love that. When it seems like it's the right time to preach, preach. When it seems like it's not the right time to preach, preach. Don't wait till the world's going to give you its approval and they give you their permission. Okay, now you can speak. Uh-uh. Christ called us to preach. Remember when they told the apostles to keep their mouths shut in Jerusalem? What did Peter say? He said, we, we, we must obey God. We ought to obey God rather than men. And so they continued to preach and to teach. So Paul tells Timothy, preach the word. Karuxon, ton logon is the Greek there. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. That means gentleness and doctrine. Doctrine means teaching. So you need to do this. Preach the word. So what is the gospel? It's the word of God. It's the word about Christ. You know, it's, Paul said, uh, preach preach the word, and the Greek there is logon, preach the, the logos is the dictionary form. In John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was uh, was with God, excuse me, and the word was God. 
Paul said, preach the word. And literally he's saying, preach Christ. He is the word. The message is Jesus, who he is. You want to know the gospel? Find out who Jesus is. Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, he said. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to Jesus. Preach the word. We're to preach the Savior. We're to preach Jesus, who he is. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And here's why. This is important for us. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They won't want to hear healthy teaching. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They go out, they want to find someone's going to tell them what they want to hear. Tell them what they want. They want to hear that, well, they're good people in and of themselves. They want to hear that God loves them just the way they are, no matter what kind of sin and wickedness they're involved in. They want to hear about a God that doesn't require repentance, turning away from sin. They want to hear about a God that you just, you know, yeah, we're saved by grace, so we don't have to do anything. That's not what grace does. Grace makes you active. It brings you life. All right. It sets you on fire in a good way. All right. And so here's what he's saying. The time's going to come when they're going to have itching ears. They want to, they want to hear about power. They want to hear about, well, how do I, you know, how do I, uh, you know, live the, the prosperous life? Okay. Bible actually tells you a lot of stuff like that. And you follow biblical principles, you probably do well in your job and your vocation, all right, whatever, your business, etc. Bible has all kinds of interesting information. But that's not the gospel, okay? Those are things God tells us so that we can live sanctified, holy lives and serve him in our vocations. But when you have people that all, they, well, let's, you know, this is, a, you know, if I'm going to a seminar where I can learn that I can have the power of God working through me. We're not talking about sanctification. You know, we see this today. The neo-apostolic movement is fed on this stuff. Uh, the idea that, like as one man said, after listening to some of this stuff, he said, I thought we were supposed to be Jesus' followers, not as replacements. And uh, that's kind of the way they talk. You, you know, can be greater than you are, etc. God loves you just the way you are. Well, he does love you. And in spite of your sin, just the way you are. He has had mercy on you if you're a believer. But don't gather up teachers having itching ears. He said, they shall turn away their ears from the truth. Remember how Jesus defined truth? He said, Father, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. John 17, 17. They'll turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. The Greek there is muthoi, myths. So I need to be really careful about literature and films and all those things that capture our imagination. What, what has captured your imagination? Okay, Paul said they're going to turn away from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Literature is great. I like Tolkien and, you know, C.S. Lewis and, and things like that. All right, everybody likes a good story. But don't let that capture your imagination to the neglecting of Scripture. Augustine, who the Lord saved when he was an adult, and he'd studied the classics, and he was very well educated. He spoke Latin fluently, beautifully, and Greek also. But he said that when he began to read the scriptures, they seemed dull to him because he'd read, you know, all the the Greek classics and the Roman classics. He'd read all those Latin writings and Greek things, and he said they were really exciting and really interesting stories. But when he turned back to the scripture, it was 
kind of hard to get into. He said, it, and he realized the problem's not scripture, the problem's Augustine. And so he, he dealt with that. He didn't you know give up his knowledge of literature, but he recognized he needed to give his heart to the Lord more fully and really give himself to scripture because the story of scripture is not dull and boring. So if you, you know, sometimes the hardest book to pick up is the Bible. So here's a warning. They shall be, they'll turn their ears away from the truth and shall be turned into fables or muthoi. So be careful about the literature you're reading. It's, it's great to know literature and we certainly don't want people to be ignoramuses. Enjoy it. Recognize it for what it is though. You know, Tolkien stories, Narnia and all that, and all those things or uh, other other things that might be entertaining, recognize it as entertainment and don't let it capture your imagination to the neglect of scripture. God gives us all things richly to enjoy, Paul said in Timothy. But just be aware, Paul also said elsewhere uh, that he would not be brought under bondage to anything. So don't let anything control your thinking other than God's word by the Holy Spirit. He says, but then he tells Timothy, that's what is going to happen. It's going to happen. So we shouldn't think, like, well, it can't happen to me. Yeah, it can. That's why this is there. All right. Hold fast to the gospel. But watch, Paul told Timothy, but watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of your ministry. And so Paul said, get out there, preach the gospel, preach the word. That's what he was to do. The gospel is the message of Jesus Christ, that he died for us, rose again from the dead, and that by believing in him, as he is revealed historically and as it is written in the scriptures, God gives to us eternal life. That promise was given to the Father, or by, I should say, by the Father, to the Son, and the Holy Spirit in eternity past. That's why it says in, in Paul's writings, grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before eternal times, that's 2 Timothy 1.9. Paul says in Titus 1.2 that we live in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. And literally it's promised before eternal times. To whom did the Father promise this? Well, the Father promised the Son and the Son promised. That's that everlasting covenant that the scripture speaks of. So we have a wonderful gospel to believe and to proclaim. You know, if you know the gospel and you know the comfort of knowing Jesus, I'm not trying to trouble you, but it should bother us a little bit that there are people living in our own community that have absolutely no clue that there really is hope. You know, and there are people, you know, we hear people that die in despair or harm themselves because they just have no hope. And here we are with this message of life. You know, we need to talk to others as we have opportunity. You know, one man sows, another man waters, another man reaps. But Paul says God gives the increase. And if you might think, well, I can't talk to that guy. He's not going to listen or she's not interested in it. Tell him anyway, in season, out of season, as you have opportunity, be gentle, you know, and be wise and speak to them. But, you know, there are people living without hope. And here we are sitting on this treasure that we don't share. You know, we're having a feast here today. I don't know if there's more food in that kitchen I've seen in a long time. And I hope you can stick around and enjoy it. You know, we have this, this blessing. But wouldn't it be a pity if, you know, somebody was hungry, came here and left because they didn't know there was food today? You know, um, stay with me. I realize I just mentioned food in the sermon, which is always dangerous to do. But we have this treasure. We have the, the, you know, the bread of life, our Lord Jesus Christ. So may God give us grace to know the gospel, 
believe it, trust fully in Jesus. Jesus is the gospel. It's the good news of him. And then as we have our opportunity, share that light, that hope with others as the Lord opens those doors. And you'll know when it's the right time and the right person to speak to. God will direct you on that. You can be sure of it. So just trust him. And as you have opportunity, speak to others about the Savior. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we ask you to be with us now. We thank you, Lord, for the gospel, the message that you, Lord Jesus Christ, came into this world, that you died on the cross for our sins, that you rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. We thank you, Lord, that you've ascended into heaven and you now intercede for us. And we thank you, Lord, that we do uh, look forward to the time when you will return in glory to receive us to yourself. So be with us now and bless us, for we ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.